0: And welcome to the Rules of Acquisition Remix. I'm your host, Hugh Crawford, one of the co-hosts of the Rules of Acquisitions, and one-third of the Kickers of Elves. Today, we're going to talk about Captive Pursuit, which was our fifth episode. It originally aired on March 7th, 2016, and from the sound of the conversation that we're about to have, we recorded it sometime in 2015. Um... Alright, so without further ado, here is the Rules of Acquisition and Captive Pursuit. Get ready for some exciting Cole Meany Butt Talk. Wormhole. Provisional Government.
1: Oh yeah. Davo Girls. Docking Pylons. Oh yeah. Roundabouts. Homoerotic oh, craft. Oh yeah. It's time for the Rules of Acquisition. Wormhole. Hello and welcome to The Rules of Acquisition. As always, I'm Wade Bowen. With me is James Nolan. Hey guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hello. And we're still talking about the greatest television series of all time. <laughs> or okay the not maybe not the greatest television series of all time but the greatest television series before the sopranos yes
2: or maybe we not we're talking about the great the greatest television series we're talking about <laughs> yeah, right maybe not the the
1: greatest television series of 1992 uh, or was next generation still on then okay well the next oh. <laughs> well anyways it's it's still important that's all I'm all yes. sure it's and it's worth talking about. That's what we're here
2: for. People like NYPD Blue, but you know, whatever was
1: Yeah, they should, there's no asses on Deep Space Nine,
2: I'll say that. There isn't, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> or fortunately.
2: Yeah, fortunately. I, yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> well, maybe Avery Brooks' ass. Would you like to see that?
2: Yeah. Um O'Brien. I could see I could go with some some O'Brien ass. Some spotty Irish ass. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but we're getting uh off track, maybe. I was gonna say ahead of ourselves, but I don't think his ass ever shows up. <laughs> no, I don't think so.
2: I wanna so if I is there anything I can watch that has Cole Meany's ass in it? Maybe I wanna look that up. Maybe like layer cake or something. Wasn't that Civil War TV show where he was Hell on Wheels?
3: Well I've got IMDB up and there's something called um there's this ninety minute film uh that's just called Cole Meany's ass. So maybe that uh, <laughs>
1: I think that's what you want
2: to the Pirates Bay.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that might be what you're looking for.
1: (laughs) Okay. Yes. So (laughs) what we're, we're talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And we're talking about sexual. I don't know what uh, we're talking about. Sex, (laughs) baby. We're talking about Sex. So let's lead into our first scene on this episode. Oh yeah, okay. What was the name of this episode? Again?
3: Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you asked. This, <laughs> this episode was called Captive Pursuit. It uh, aired January 31st, 1993. It is episode 5 of season 1. The description is for the first time an alien comes through the other side of the wormhole. He has ship trouble and seems very reluctant to accept any help. Chief O'Brien quickly finds out he has a secret. And that's that's it, man. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at a, that's the story. The, the best, the best that they can come uh, in season one for a wormhole story since the season series premiere. And and uh, what do you guys think we're dealing with here? Do you think this is a is this a good episode? Right off the bat, let's unpack what you guys think.
2: I like this episode. This is one like since, since the, the pilot. This has been my favorite episode so far.
3: I actually like this episode
1: too. Yeah.
2: Do you, do you differ, Hugh?
3: Uh, well let's see i i like this enough i think chief o'brien doesn't get on my nerves that much i think this is where we start to see Chief. he
2: was great in this yeah. episode how dare you
3: he's <laughs> great i i wouldn't say great i think he's just fine i i think that this is where we i almost said magnificent,
1: <laughs> magnificent. <laughs> you know that movie
2: with angelina too <laughs> maleficent. <laughs> he's doing maleficent work here. No, I think he's doing like Yelman Yelman's work here. I think he's he did all of the things that you need to do cuz the show is undoubtedly about him, but he develops chemistry with the crocodile man. He <laughs>
3: Yes, uh, the uh, the guy who came comes through the the wormhole with the secret is a crocodile man. Toss and the secret is, is that he's being hunted by his own kind for some sort of game or sport or cultural rite of passage mm-hmm. that he's supposed to uh, be killed in this chase. And that's how he's achieved some sort of honor. Now, we've seen honor-bound aliens before, mm-hmm. and we've seen like culture clashes before, but the Deep Space Nine crew seems a little bit upset by the fact that their first contact from the Gamma Quadrant is uh, just basically i don't know like a fox and a fox hunt they're upset about it
1: yeah well yeah i i mean i have i have my own thoughts but before we even get to that do we want to
3: talk about that first scene? (laughs) yes okay let's oh yeah before we get to the alien yeah let's we need to unpack that
2: okay so last episode i was talking i was rambling on about what is Quark's business?
3: <laughs> this is all James and I want to talk about. <laughs> Let's do it.
2: What is the nature of Quark's business? How much business does he have off the books and on the books and all of that stuff? And I even said I I thought that they were sort of candy-coating what a Quark would be like in this kind of society. And then this first scene, which uh, is between Cisco and Jamie Lee Curtis's older sister— <laughs> Look that up. That's who plays the skeleton alien. <laughs> That's who plays the
1: skeleton alien with tits. No
2: way. That's Tony Curtis and Janet Leigh's daughter. Uh, the other Tony Curtis and
3: Janet Leigh's daughter. She didn't get her own True Lies spinoff or anything. No, mm-hmm.
2: she didn't. But she spends Thanksgiving with Christopher Guest and. And her sister. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's weird. There's a lot of that in the show where it's this person is a friend of a friend of a friend who just, I don't know, like maybe they just, I don't know. I don't know. But they get like this kind of like bit work just when they need need it. Because most of her work on IMDb was just stuff her sisters in. Mm -hmm. But this was this was sort of the odd thing. Okay, so in this, they go, like, full crazy. Warf has it written into his contracts with his Dabo girls that he gets to fuck them.
3: Quark? Quark, does, right. You said,
1: like, well, there's no Klingons. Oh,
2: no, 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 no. Quark. Quark, sorry. (laughs)
1: Quark. Different head apparatus of makeup.
2: (laughs) Yes, and more more developed around the ears.
1: Yeah. Oh, he's a fucking pimp. Like, I don't mean that, like, he's cool. I mean, like, it's written into... Yes. He's not off-contract the shady person. He's... On paper, Shady, it's written into his fucking ledger.
2: <laughs> yes. So he gets to fuck these girls, and it's written into his contract. I don't know. It's just del- the whole thing is played. And I think this might be one of the first times we've gotten anything where the sort of diversity issues or gender- where we see 2015 is a much different time than 1993. Yeah because they would have this scene would not be in a show
3: nowadays it would be in a show it just it would just get resolved
2: yeah it would be about the it wouldn't just be like cisco it was treated like a oh that rascally quark
1: yeah cisco's like oh okay well yeah that makes sense hey quark is systematically raping his employees yeah but if you look at it within like fucking star trek ideologies like oh We'll accept your cultural differences. <laughs>
3: well, and I think that's, that, that's what they try to hand-fistedly touch upon, because they have to... They throw the Prime... The Prime Directive steps on everybody's dick every time it's used in these shows. <laughs> yes. Isn't that about right? Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes. It's no, And it's. there's a couple of episodes of Next Generation where it seems like they vigilantly uphold the Prime Directive against all other things. But most of the times when you have Prime Directive being shot about it's basically going to lead by the end of the plot to someone breaking the
3: prime directive.
1: Yeah, yeah, which actually happens in this very episode.
2: Yes, it does.
0: Well, and I
3: feel I feel that that's the difference between the next generation crew and the deep space 9 crew. Like the next generation crew are the kids at the front of the class asking, you know, for homework over the weekend <laughs> and the deep space nine crew are the kids who are like worried about where the next meal is going to come from. <laughs> They've got bigger fish. to Like they're more pragmatic and things are,
2: they live in the real world in deep space.
1: Right. Nine. Right. Yes. Right.
3: They've got real problems.
1: Sisko's like, Oh uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, I'll talk to court. You don't have to fuck them.
2: Yes. And I do appreciate later on than just talking about this in general, that when, when Cisco meets the first uh person from the gamma quadrant who is essentially a slave that they don't make that a th- they don't bring voice to that they let that just sit there right
3: oh no no picard would have called a conference about it everybody would have had to get around a table about it they'd have to talk about it you know what i mean
2: us history and yeah yeah but he just says like the whole first scene is played off like a quirk he's so f- he's so rascally And, and, and I was just like, no, this is a major issue.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. This is some dark shit right off the bat. (laughs) They hit this, like, they drop us in the deep end of the pool on this one, don't they, guys?
1: Yes. And, yeah, but, but, you know, Ferengi, fuckies, uh, (laughs) fucking, (laughs) sorry, fucking, or sex. Let me just say it. Uh, Let me be demure about it. It's probably just like. Rubbing on earlobes or something? Uh, not, uh,
3: maybe. still non-consensual <laughs> rubbing of earlobes. <laughs> yeah. <It's> still, yeah <laughs> like deeply uncomfortable about the dabble girl situation.
1: Yeah, there's probably ducks.
2: And by the way, they don't play around. It's not subtext where he was trying to be friendly with me. They actually say sexual encounters.
1: They say that in
2: the like in the show.
1: Yeah, it's a problem.
2: (laughs) So it's clear that they're talking like blowjobs and stuff. It was the first off note from that sort of diversity sort of perspective that I'd really like seen hammered. And then I think they do one at the end that is really offensive to me, too. But we'll get to that then.
3: Well, O'Brien kind of becomes after the Dabo girl thing (laughs) and after this guy comes through the Gamma Quadrant. And then
1: the rest of the episode is not about that.
2: At
3: all at all' is dropped
2: in fact, you have two endearing scenes with quark,
1: <laughs> right, oh, he's such a slimy guy that what the fuck is important
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> ain't he lovable yes
3: yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of weird <laughs> it's very weird. Okay,
2: so Crocodile Man, who, by the way, uh, the staff that came up with the Crocodile outfit and the red guy, the uh, red suited and helmet guys, they won an Emmy for this episode.
3: Wow, not not a whole lot going on <laughs> at the Emmy <end> that huh?
2: <laughs> no, because I have a major, there was something about the Crocodile Man suit that was so distracting to me that it, it distracted me in every scene of the show. And that's that his suit is a one-piece rubber suit, even though the character he's got crocodile skin and he's wearing like a jumper over it but they they made that the jumper is clearly made out of the same piece of neoprene or whatever that the gator skin is
1: i did not even notice that
2: okay it bothered me in every <laughs> scene because when you see him move like his it's just it moves like one piece the jumper and his skin that was Okay, I'm the guy that's bothered by that kind of stuff, but that bothered me.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I have, actually, that's, I was going to get into some of that at the end, but (laughs) I I know what you're saying, I know it's it's disconcerting. There's a lot, there's a lot going on here that's just not good. Uh Um, Okay, one of the things I I didn't like, uh, guess how long we go into this episode before Dax has a single line? (laughs) Oh, she's in this episode? (laughs) Yeah, wait. I don't remember her at all. She has her first line 25 minutes into it. Oh, wow. And she is arguably, she's being so, um. <laughs> at this point, like every episode that goes by, she's, she's one of the most interesting characters, and she's so underutilized. Yeah. No, I agree. I get the feeling that they just don't know how to use everybody yet. I know
2: two episodes from now, we have a big Dax episode that I think may recalibrate that.
1: Right, it takes some at least seven episodes. Of, they don't know what they're doing for a while. They've written these episodes and they don't know. What
2: doing. Yeah. 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 And in fact, it, it occurred to me that like maybe O'Brien was, in, you know, cause O'Brien was a major character in last week's episode or he was in this week's episode that maybe they're just trying yeah. to like, you remember him. He was the transporter guy and, and, uh, next generation.
1: Right. There's a lot of like, Oh, we've got
3: this next generation. Guy.
2: Yes. So they're throwing him a lot of, a lot of screen time early
3: on. Yeah. And that that kind of I guess that's kind of one of the things that bugs me about like I feel like I'm getting like leftovers, <laughs> you know, from a better meal whenever they do that instead of why don't you just try to give me something new and different? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it, they they're so like half committed to this first season. Yeah,
2: yeah, I would agree with that because I I mean, the scripts up till this point have been pretty poor compared to what you were getting on Next Generation. Just like that, the dialogue, the writers' room was clearly a worse collection of writers. Right. So the scripts weren't punchy. The and I thought that this episode was the first time that I actually thought that there were like jokes that weren't jokey. That like O'Brien was like you know he was making you know O'Brien was a smartass. O'Brien, Brian had a Brian had a character beyond just what serviced the script right right. Like they told they wrote like they said like. I don't know if it was Cole Meany. It was like I've got to develop this fast kinship with this crocodile man, so I have to, like, sort of force these scenes to where, you know, like a bond is created, like, you know, like, you know, two guys shooting the shit or joshing around uh, but I think it was in the screenplay too. I mean, I, it seems it was probably in the script because he's the way he's talking about him, the Cisco and stuff like that. But like the whole thing about like I can't have everyone in the Gamma Quadrant thinking I make I fit, I'm shitty at working on ships or you know those kind of things were all kind of jokes that were right the things that a normal writer you know a good writer writes in a script that bad writers don't right right a little bit of depth yeah just color to the to the way people say things and stuff like that. So
3: I actually thought that this was a, uh, as, as poorly as like Odo and well, we talked about quark and <laughs> Dax were used. Yes. Like a whole third of the cast was used very poorly. Oh yeah. I, I still thought it was a really, it was a pretty strong showing for Cisco. Cisco is actually like pragmatic as fuck in this episode.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, that's something I wrote down too. He's got his shit together. He knows how to play with the Prime Directive correctly. And is like, all right, let it alone.
3: Well, and there's also that one at that one point where, yeah, they're not quite sure what is going on with with the alien from the Gamma Quadrant. And Mm -hmm. he's, you know, Cisco says to O'Brien, if he's lying, find out why. And if he just. Or just get him off, get him off. You know, he's just like, either way, take care of the problem. Like He didn't really want to, he didn't care at what point, You know, if it's in danger to the station, he just want, wants him off the ship.
1: I will say, they waived that first contact procedure
2: rather fast.
3: Yeah. They're like, wait a
1: minute, are you sure you want to do this? That, that seemed a little bit too easy for me. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, what is the first contact? like? They get in fancy suits, right? They get in their best Starfleet skirts. Yeah, yes, the skirt, the the dresses,
1: unisex dresses. Yeah. They
2: wear the dresses. Yeah, and I th- and I think we may get that with another gamma. I don't know. We may get that in a later episode. But yeah, I mean, like they were like, whatever this is, this guy is like, let's not do. You're right. They skirted protocol that it was like this sort of botched weird thing, which in the context of the whole show, I kind of like that. Even the first uh, occurrence with the the gamma quadrant. Was, like, a
3: clusterfuck. (laughs) Yeah, that fits really well, I think, with how things are going to go for them.
2: Yeah, a morally ambiguous clusterfuck. And so that, you know, it was cute. Like, I mean, it was a a nice sort of preset to how the whole thing went down. But, no, I mean, yeah, I like that more than anything, it seems to me that there was such a drive in uh, The Next Generation to Picard, like, the joy of Discovery. Or none of that shit. And like I like that on Deep Space Nine they all have we got jobs to do. Yeah. <laughs> like we're working. Like we have political systems hanging the balance. Like all of this stuff is going on. There's there there's not like a lot of wide eyed wonder no. to the future into the vast expanse of space. It's like nitty gritty shit. And it in that way it's about good, complicated workplace sort of the thing that people like about shows like Veep or West Wing right. where like all of these morally ambiguous or sort of complicated sort of things that has that. And I think not, I'm not comparing it to Veep, but like Cisco has those sort of elements that I think, you know, that, that sort of pragmatic get her, get it done sort <laughs> okay. of
1: get her done. You about said get her, uh, done. Almost said
2: get her done. Yes. All right, Larry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was actually going to tie it into this sort of American theory of you know we're fixing we're (laughs) plugging holes we're fixing problems you know right because i've sort of come up on this sort of overarching thing that it seems america's like in the 21st century and in the latter half of the 20th century america's like overriding philosophy is shut up go to work you know like that's the american philosophy of things is what what you know fuck you get to work you know and so and I think that that infects everything we, we talk about in politics. Is, and I think that that's like a thing in the show where they're like, we're working. It's the first time I thought of like on a show that when the hunters come in and blow off the door to Quart uh, to Odo's prison cell, Right. I think O'Brien's going to have to go fix that tomorrow. Right. Like that was, the, I thought that. <laughs> and I've never, I never thought that kind of shit on a next generation because every, every character's job every character's sort of philosophy was so so much
3: loftier it actually helps that thought is plant supplanted because we've seen o'brien just like really bust his ass this whole season with trying to keep <laughs> things working on the ship right mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah the first episode he can't get stuff to work the last episode was the one where the the Babel episode, right? Where yeah. the replicators were fucked up and that the whole first act is him fixing shit. <laughs> right. And then and it ends with shit breaking down and him fixing shit. So yeah. And I think that we're beginning to see a little bit of continuity and we're sympathetic to their plights, you know, from episode to episode. Mm-hmm. Did Major Kira do anything this episode? Did she have a line?
1: Uh, she ir- Is she in it? I don't remember her.
2: She irritated me a couple times, but other than that... Yeah, she... You know, because there's lots of... The only the only way Dax got a line, the only way that Kira got a line, was that Cisco would be debriefing O'Brien on his interactions with Tosk, and they would, like, throw in one-liners. Yeah, right. So you don't trust him? Oh, I'm not saying I don't trust it. You know, like, there's all this stuff. And so they all have little filler lines there that could have just all went to Cisco, but you have to, n- none a visitor showed up on set this week, <laughs> yeah, so you gotta right, give her yeah, a line yeah, or two.
1: Yeah, in the credits we're paying her for her union rate, we gotta give her something. Exactly.
3: Did Bashir have a scene in sickbay? I can't remember, like, I just watched this episode. Oh, yeah. Did he?
2: All they did, all they did, when they were first, when O'Brien was walking Tusk through the ship, or through the station, he just went, and this is our sickbay, and this is our Dr. Julian Bashir. And he shook, like, they like had pleasantries. Hello,
1: I'm Julian <laughs> Yeah, <Take laughs> That
2: was it. That, that was the only scene he was in.
1: Give me my episode rate, please.
3: <laughs> 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 I'm contractually obligated <laughs> to be here. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Right. I'm in the starring section of the credits. You owe me. So yes. There
2: you go. That's what I was thinking of. Not the birdwalk on another show, but just talking about people who are like. Getting there right. Janelle Maloney on The Leftovers is in, like, a wheelchair and catatonic of, like, every episode. (laughs) And she's, like—and I was thinking, she's making, like, good right, because she's in the opening credits. So she's a featured player on the show. And she has not had a line in two seasons. (laughs) And, like— That's, I mean, I'm sure she would rather be working on better things, but that's good work if you can get it.
1: I think she's happy with what she's getting. (laughs)
2: Yes. It's kind of like on Fargo with Colonel Ty from Battlestar Galactica. He's on the second season of Fargo, and he's just in a wheelchair. And so.
3: Well, the thing is that with these, the Star Trek bit players, (laughs) like, you can make a whole secondary career. Right, just off the convention. Like, I'm sure the guy who was in the foam head at Corks Bar. What? What is that alien? That's just in every episode? Oh, every episode. Norm, Morn, M-
2: M- Morn, Morn.
3: Morn, It's yeah, Norm yeah, backwards. He's like Norm. It's like a play on Norm, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's from and, Cheers. Yeah, but he never talks. Right. I'm sure he's signing autographs for twenty bucks a pop. Like, yes. like, you know, forty weeks out of the year. Oh, he's getting forty. He's getting forty bucks a pop. I bet forty bucks a pop. Like, mm-hmm. how many weekends of the year? Right. Like at a
1: Star Trek convention, he's well
3: at a deep okay, never mind. In a Deep Space Nine
1: convention, he's getting forty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and every one, he's getting about fifteen. You're right. Yeah.
2: So like that. I mean that. You're right. And that that's good work. I'm not. You know, like I, I'm not. I know a lot of these guys do that. I know that like all of the characters who've been casually murdered off of Game of Thrones now just do the convention circuit. You know, and that's that's a good work. I ain't I ain't, I ain't judging these guys.
1: I'd love to be killed on Game of Thrones.
2: <laughs> I would love to be killed on Game of Thrones and get to have my own booth at conventions all across the country for 40 bucks a signature or whatever they do. <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh so yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, and a lot of these the the foam head guys are also other foam head guys in other episodes. Right. Like both the Hunter and a Tosk in this episode have done multiple Star Trek things before. Or after, or before, or after. Yeah,
1: probably all of
2: the above. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I mean, yeah, like same way uh, Armin Schumerman was like every Ferengi before Court <laughs> on <the> next
2: <laughs> series. Yes. Okay, so we're, we're, what else do we have on this episode?
1: Uh, I do want to say like when they when they they get into the hunt and then uh, O'Brien's like, okay, I'm going to help out Tosk and I'm mm-hmm. going to go and they're like, ah, I killed these people. They're dead, but that's what they wanted. All right. <laughs> uh, Isn't this funny? I killed these people, but they, it, they love it because this is part of their culture. <laughs> yeah. And then right. and then Cisco's like, all right, there you go. I get it.
2: Yeah. Were they? I mean, I guess they're
1: dead. And they never show up. And it's they, like, it's kind of framed as their, it's the most dangerous game.
2: I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he should be able to murder him. He's kind of a—is he threatening though? Is the, the would the show be better if he was more threatening?
3: O'Brien, Who, Tosk or O'Brien? tosk tosk all right well let's get into that part of the show if you want to what would what would you change let's get into in what would you change about this Oh, episode? I don't know
2: I mean I'm asking because I think it's I, I I'm not a, I'm not uh, coming at it from a, like a very specific point of view because I think that there's something about like how kind of bumbling mumbling tosk is and kind of like Opie Taylor homespun sort of thing right that like I think that makes it sort of off-putting. Yes, it is, and and and, and maybe not
3: off. Is, this, is he supposed to be more sympathetic if he's more child-like, childlike? Yeah,
2: I think it quickly makes you bond with him. Where if he was like just a like a monster, and over time you see that you know he's playing a role and he does you know he's just a he's just a guy trying to do his job in the world, then you would you know I think that it was going for that more quick quicker bonding where he was. Kind of childlike, and he was like, "You guys have too much time, you know. You get your, you know, we don't get to. We're just work, and we sleep for seventeen minutes, and we work all day, and we don't have time to think about our bitchy wives." Which is a reoccurring motif with Obi. Yeah, that's the worst. <laughs> that's the worst. That was the problem. That was the thing in the end that offended me. But um, that whole sort of thing may maybe. Sort of created sort of more of a bond, male bonding thing.
3: Yeah, male bonding through shitting on women is that the basic. E, that's
2: yes, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty. We've said this writer's room's not their best. So, like, right. Yes, exactly. That's exactly the what it
1: other was. women writers were saving up the go to Voyager. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. <laughs> well, actually, this uh, yeah, but I guess in fairness, this the, the co-writer of the screenplay, or the first writer of the screenplay, was a woman. But then Mark Pillar. Rewrote it, or Michael Pillar rewrote it. So that's something. But it, it, still, it's got it's got some stink in it uh, of of sexism and misogyny. But
1: you mean like the fucking contract?
2: The fucking contract. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Cisco at the end says, "If you if you do this again, your wife will, won't have to keep bitching about how much she doesn't like it here," <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which then already established that she has gotten over it, got a job as a teacher, and, like, went to work and, like, did her fucking job. She's, like, working her ass off to educate Cisco's child. Well, and he I makes will that, give, I'll give
1: Cisco some credit here. <laughs> he's, like, playing both sides. That's, like, where he's good at just, like, he's better at toying with the prime directive than any of the other captains. In
3: yeah, a I, get the, I get that there was this. A... Like, we don't know. Sh- we don't know shit about we don't know shit about back, but we know all of Keiko's. Foibles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
3: Right. But I, well, I still shit.
1: say that Cisco's a, at the end. He's like, I have to be an asshole, but I'm like on board the whole time.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. But he said that little line and I was like, you basically just called Keiko. A, anyway. OK, well, let's go into this now. You basically just called Keiko a bitch. You you don't have to listen to your wife's whining about not liking the station anymore. Right, and I'm like,
1: yeah, yeah. It's, don't bring his wife into it.
2: Yeah, that was like one scene in episode two, and since then she's worked, she's done her job. Like, I don't know what the deal was. <laughs> that was just I thought rude. It was a the writers were trying to write that you know all of your little problems will be solved very quickly if you do this again, but that's not what you want. Right, but. Instead, they just wrote this misogynistic piece of shit about a hardworking woman who's trying to work <laughs> to work to educate Cisco's child. You're right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So
2: like that's
3: Keiko should be like the only hero of of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <Yes. to control>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she had a career. She was an educated high level botanist. botanist. She got a position on the flagship of the Federation and
3: uh, Early downfall was falling for Ryan. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, some some fucking enlisted engineer,
2: enlisted mechanic. Yes, and let's—he's an engineer, but he's a mechanic. Yeah, <laughs> like most of you know, Jordy was a you know Jordy. He spends much more time on his knees and crawling under panels than Jordy ever did.
3: O'Brien smells like old plasma <laughs> coils and Jordy just, he is like, he doesn't smell like anything because he tells people what to do.
2: Yes. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's a, he's, and I like that there's a, a fixer. I like that on the ship. But it's still, it's, it's crazy. But back to Tosk, was he threatening? When he does that little jump, which is the first, I think, maybe the first action scene since the pilot. Oh, his little chameleon jump? Yeah, where he jumps and attacks one of the hunters.
3: I I think he's supposed to be scary because we can't see him. I think that's to imply that this guy can is.
1: Scary. Yeah, yeah, all his jumps feel like a. Baby jumping out and yelling, boo. <laughs> yeah.
2: He also had a noticeable pot belly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it makes me think he's probably not at the height of physical. I mean, I, I don't know how tusks are built.
1: You don't know where their muscles and organs lie.
2: I don't, but it, it reads to my eye as like, he's like a paunchy loser who's in a bad situation. And I think that that serves the front, a part of the script, but doesn't serve. The part where he's supposed to be a genetically engineered badass, because I think you're supposed to think later on and, you know, not to get into spoilers, but I think you think you're supposed to think he's a precursor of the Jim Hadar. I well,
1: I hope that you're supposed to think that
2: I think you're giving him too much
1: credit. That's my that's where I take issue with this episode.
2: Oh, is it too much like the Jim Hadar.
1: No, it's not enough. They don't. They don't bring <laughs> the first aliens back because they they think they get to something better. They're just jerking around right now. Like, yeah, oh, we have got an alien, and then they get yeah. They're, they land on the Jim Hadar and they forget all about these
2: guys. Okay, so is this the first time we start talking about? Do you think that Berman or Pillar or anyone had on a. a When this episode was being written, do you think that there was a master copy or an outline that had the name Dominion and had the outline of the Dominion on it?
3: No. No. Okay. No. I I feel like they're so – they've got their – they're like half in – they're half-ass in so much of the series I don't think they're really giving themselves a chance at the overall arc of the whole series just yet. Mm -hmm. No,
1: I think at this point they had planned, we're going to have an Alien of the Week come through the wormhole. Yes. And that's how we're going to play this. And then people got upset and said, this show sucks. (laughs) (laughs) They don't fight anybody. They don't have any big enemies. They don't go anywhere. So what the fuck? And then they're like, oh, we got to change things. And then they brought in and And then probably Ronald D. Moore started getting involved. I'd like to think because he's probably great. I want to think he's great. I love that first two seasons battle star galactica
3: yeah
1: i, I want to say he's saying.
3: yeah him. i think wait wait what you're saying i like what you're saying because basically it's like um the writers have like a rebuttal for everything you, mm. you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. they don't what what the fuck they don't they don't uh they don't go anywhere and then the writers are like, "No, you don't understand. They're they're real people with real problems. You got to worry yeah. about fixing the doors." You <laughs> well, know? that's the,
2: okay, but all of these things, I I think episodes. We are you're right, and I agree with you. On episodes two through five here. But the pilot was oozing with political complications from Bajor versus the Cardassians. All of the crap, the religious stuff, and the implications of Cisco and the wormhole and all of that stuff. That was a big pilot. It was. And I know that that was probably an all-hands-on-deck thing. And Michael Piller was probably writing that for a year in the pitching stages. And now that they got to this. But later on, it becomes that again where huge ideas and really complicated things are just flying all over the place. But right now, with this rubber alien steps on board and they solve it thing, why is this the second, third, fourth, fifth song on this album?
1: I think they got distracted by, we have to fill 22 episodes (laughs) a season. Uh There was none of this, like, Sopranos or Mad Men where we can do 10 episodes. Cable wasn't a thing. We have to still listen to networks. We have to fit twenty-two episodes in a season. So we gotta pad this out.
3: And then they get into padding it out, and then there's like we Kinda gotta do- jump on with Wade. What Wade <laughs> is saying is that like what I said last week, like Star Trek Deep Space Nine is a show with obligations. They have to have the green guy in the rubber suit episode. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're obligated.
2: But it's all like five episodes in, and it's all green guys in a rubber suit. And the show should be—and I and I know they get to this, and to the people who maybe are following us and watching it episode-by-episode episode new, they get into that, and it gets good again. But it seems like they're just—after having like a really great mission statement and a really great blueprint for how the show should go, they just can't get their shit together on a script-by-script script basis. Where if they're going to go that way, or if they feel bogged down by a 22-episode season, you skimp on episodes— Eight and 13 and 15 and 17, you know, but you marble it with the good stuff. But it seems like this is this whole season was just a good idea that no one followed through with.
1: Yeah, that's kind of how I felt when I talked about in the first episode where I I stopped watching it because I felt like all the stuff that I was promised in the pilot episode never came.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's mind boggling to me. And it seems like they're writing these shows in ways where when you have a cast, a standard cast of seven actors, basically any great script is going to be a conversation between three people at most, you know, with other people. So you're not going to get a lot of Bashir in each episode. But five episodes in, I I feel like I don't know what I'm watching. I don't have a clear vision of who Dax is. I don't—I mean, I feel like I know Kira a little bit, but she's supposed to be the most interesting character on the show. Odo is supposed to be this character shrouded and all this mystery that they haven't even established yet. Yeah. This is a man who doesn't know who he is and has unforeseen, never seen before superpowers. And he's like a bit player. Right.
3: Well, morphing. Actually, he's such an afterthought in this. They, they trust O and trust O'Brien to keep tabs on him. This, and, and Odo, the tapestry shifter. Right.
1: Well, morphing technology. And effects were still such a big deal after that Michael Jackson video. Oh yeah. You know, what was the song? Uh
2: black and white, yes. Black or white.
1: <laughs> and so all those morphing odo shots. Had to cost so much money,
2: but yeah. they didn't. I don't even need to see him change. It's not just the mystery of where he's from, which is super interesting and consumes most of the show from later on, but just the idea that he worked with Cardassians, the idea that he's of the sh- of the space station and not of a people group, yeah, and all of the kind of stories that you could just quickly. I felt like after the pilot was like a good to go. And after they got it approved and greenlit, and then they create a writer's room for the show. Me, you, and Wade could throw out like 20 good ideas to that that were fertile and interesting and not seen before because it's an interesting setup. But all of these things are just aliens of the week. It's right. it's it's next generation season one all over again. And I don't know. I mean, it's a Rick Berman problem. It's uh, it's.
1: I will give it credit. It's a little bit
2: better than next year's. Yeah, one. yeah, okay, Ooh, yeah. Boy. But they also probably had more money too. Okay. But uh, no, I mean, and this is like we're talking. I mean, I think this is a good episode. I do too. I think this. I think this would be a fine episode in season six. Yeah, I mean, it's more complicated, obviously, but like I think this would if, an episode like this would be fine. But we need the good stuff. <laughs> Quickly, uh, and I don't know why they're so timid about it, and I would be interested in reading more about it, but there doesn't seem to be a lot out there of a story of why, why this was sort of slow
3: to launch. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think they just didn't know what they were doing. Have we gotten into what we would change it? We should probably. Go for it.
3: Yeah. I want to hear what what would
1: you change, Wade? Well, my whole thing—I like this episode a lot. So, what I would change is everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These, this is the first alien to come through the wormhole. This is the last time this alien comes up ever. Mm-hmm. And so, if this alien is coming through the wormhole through Dominion space, the Dominion should—it should have some. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything later. It should have some hierarchy. Or reference, even if they don't know what's going on Uh. now, later they should at least reference.
2: I think that if we think that there is not a piece of paper at this time that has the word Dominion or anything like that or has the Jim Hadar or the Vorda or any of that stuff established, then they would want to go back later on. They would have loved to have went back. And if this if they could go back and do it over again, they would make this character a Jim Hadar character.
1: Probably yeah yeah Yeah. I agree with that yeah because he kind of even looks like a Gemini he does he's green he's he's not gray he's green
3: and well he his appearance actually goes into what I actually wanted to change about this episode I hated the fact that whenever you see the quote unquote like smart gamma quadrant (laughs) alien he's got hair yes yeah (laughs) he's a lizard with with human hair. And that's, like, supposed to signify that he's different?
2: He's smarter. Yeah.
3: <laughs> he's smarter, so of course he's got human hair. If and that's yeah. the thing I hated the most. I just hated that about <laughs> this episode. I know that's stupid and nitpicky. If they just called out
1: later on that the Jim Hadar are based on this race that were created for this other thing... Because it, it would make so much sense if they're, like, mm-hmm. sister species or something.
2: Now, that's a popular fan... But th- they
1: would have had to brought a back, Right.
2: On on Memory Alpha, that's a popular fan theory. That these are... That this was, like, an early Founders creation that was gifted to the Hunters. Which I don't think have a name other than the Hunters, right? He's Tosk, but they're not called anything. Oh, the, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, they're just, like, Ant-Man mixed with... The um,
2: Ant-Man suit. The Ant-Man. Yeah, guy. yeah. Mixed with uh, the... Cylons. Cylons. <laughs> Yeah, or the Doctor Who Cyberman. Oh, yes. They're yes. <laughs> Ant-Man and Cybermen. I think that, that they could go back and change that. Even if they didn't know it then, you could bring back Tosks or them something and fix it later. But it doesn't fix this. I, I don't know what I would fix about this episode. Because I think they're doing like... This would be a really good... This would be a fine Next Generation Season 3 episode. Uh, it would be the best episode that season. Yeah. But I think looking forward... I mean, this may be one of the best episodes of the season outside of the pilot.
3: Is this the best one that we've seen so far, do you think? Yeah. Outside of the pilot. I think the pilot holds up pretty well. Well, what... Is Is it even better than the one that we liked? Not Babel, but the one before that. Test um, the Yeah.
2: Wait, we liked the one... We didn't like the one about Odo. We liked the one about...
1: Past Prologue is the third one. A Man Alone is the second one that we didn't like. That's about Odo.
2: We liked Past Prologue where it's where Kira had to make a decision on whether she was going to help the terrorists. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, that was, I mean, that was a fine episode. I like this more than that.
1: I definitely like this more than that
2: if nothing else, if you're going to give me like a bland episode, give me, I know you don't feel this way, Hugh, but give me Cole Meany over Nana visitor. any
3: day. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're, I, yeah, <laughs> I know I'm alone with that. I think she's more interesting.
1: I like none of, okay. I like Cole Meany a lot more. Yeah.
3: And so I,
2: I feel like when you're watching scenes with him, you're, you're watching like scenes like, okay, this guy's an actor and I don't, I hope I'm not being affected by the fact that he does have a, post-Deep Space Nine career. Uh, you know, he's good. and st- He's still working. He's getting good roles still in two countries. So that's nice. He's kind of like a go-to Irishman in a lot of, like, if you need an Irish villain, you go to him. And I, I feel like he, you know, he's one of those workers of of, like, character-driven or character, you know, character parts in good movies or action movies or whatever. And so I hope I'm not being infected by just, the externality that he's had a successful acting career and not a visitor. Let's. You're
3: back in a real winner <laughs> yeah. from the outset. Had...
2: Yeah, no, he's had the best post Deep Space Nine career. And I guess probably Alexander Sadig is second, but he gets to play all of the juicy terrorist roles after, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, over the last 10, 15 years. Right.
1: And there's more call for those than Irishmen, I guess.
2: Yeah, you're right. I'm backing a winner. Not a visitor, clearly, has not had a good career after this. You know, but I I still think, like, he's he knows how to act. You know, I think Armin Shimmerman, uh, in Quark scenes, he knows how to act. So you feel like you're in good hands in a scene. But, like, there's scenes like last week's episode, there was a scene between uh, Dax and, and Kira, and it was, like, a little bit choppy to me. And your mind starts to wander away from the show just because there's not a lot of juiciness to the scenes. And I, so I like it that way. Um, what I would change about it, I just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I'm really struggling with it. I mean, I think it's a fine episode filler. I obviously, I would rather get into the meat of the promise of the show. Give me conflicts with Bajorans against Bajorans and Bajorans against Cardassians, and give me you know all of that kind of stuff. This is just sort of a distraction episode, and so it's fine. I don't think I would change much, but I, I'm irritated that this is the best thing they have right now that that they've given us so far. I guess is what I would say.
3: Right. I think we've covered this one pretty well. What do you
1: think, guys? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Was there anything that you would change? No, just
3: the hair. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that irritated me
1: the most. Okay, oh, oh, all. People can't be smart.
3: Yeah,
2: I would say that I, if you're gonna have a guy in a ju- in a jumper and he's in a, he's gonna be covered head to toe in a rubber suit, and he's gonna have a put two different. Suits it should be also. clearly two different fabrics <laughs> <laughs> because the hunters dress in fabric like that kind of. But I feel like I'm nitpicking against, like, these guys won an Oscar, or a, not an Oscar. These guys won an Emmy for this show, for this. <laughs>
3: they did not win that. No, I think the Hunter should have been coming in, uh, with uh, spectacles. Spectacles. On. <laughs> I mean, that's, and that's how you knew the, the smart one. But not hair, yes. Not hair. They should have been bald with spectacles. But also, okay, so
2: I'll, I'll give you this. It's confusing to me. Are they of the same race, or were these, like, genetically modified, like, we can't hunt ourselves so let's genetically modify or acquire, acquire some genetically modified sentient smart you know being to basically reenact you know the most dangerous game <laughs> which is what this it's just the 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 most dangerous game
1: oh totally but the, but the game wants to play as opposed to the, the most dangerous game like what the fuck are you hunting for <laughs> they're like no i need to be hunted
2: yeah and yeah you
1: that's why the prime directive was exactly cuz he's like
2: yeah, so, I mean, I, all of that's fine. I, I just, I was confused because they look so similar. Are they the same race or are they the same species, but just a different race of the species or whatever? And I, I would have liked that to have been more clear. Hair didn't do it for me. You're right Hugh. Yeah.
3: It was a little upsetting, isn't it, to see a lizard with such nice hair?
2: I did notice, <laughs> though, that his face had asymmetrical scaling, which I thought was a nice touch. That wasn't like, I think, like, the, the quick and easy way to go is to give him symmetrical scaling. Ever, tosk had it, like the hunters faced he looked he looked a little more dignified. I'll give him that maybe the hair maybe the hair helps, but anyway. Yeah, this is a oh, all right. Are we gonna find are are we gonna find it to where it's gonna be more fun to talk about the bad episodes?
3: Well, we'll see because I feel like I don't know. Babel Babel was pretty awful, and I felt like we struggled. <laughs> oh my it.
2: god,
1: yeah, that was. I haven't watched ahead, <laughs> but do we have like a drought of good episodes coming up? So we'll find out.
2: Well, okay, we have a Q. The next episode's a Q episode. Yeah, okay. Oh,
1: there's a lot <laughs> to unpack
2: there, <laughs> um, and it involves a character that I don't remember from. Next Generation. Was there some. I do. There was a girl that like.
3: Picard had a one night thing.
2: And then she left him for Q. (laughs) Oh, she
3: was like.
2: Was she like an Indiana Jones type gym hunter? It was like Picard's Karen Allen from Indiana Jones. Right, Right. Uh, exactly. I I liked her in Next Generation. yeah. Yeah, okay. So she. She's in this. So that's something that we'll we'll get to we'll get to look oh, forward to next
1: week. Right, I remember now.
2: And then after, yeah, mm, grow. Yeah, and then after that episode, <laughs> after that episode, we have an episode where Dax's former body could have potentially killed a man, a a a, a, a husband. <laughs> oh,
3: finally, we get into some interesting Dax shit.
2: Yeah, could have potentially killed a former. The husband of a woman he was having an affair with. Okay. And the whole question is whether is Dax, Jadzia Dax, legally liable for things that Kurzon on Dax.
1: Well, that sounds very fascinating. Uh, Anybody that thinks that is as fascinating as we do or do not (laughs) listen in later on to figure out how boring or exciting we think it might be. Uh, So, uh, I... I think that might be a good place to end the episode.
2: That's a great place to end.
1: <laughs> That's what we have to look forward to and help us get through it. Please. Uh, thanks. thanks for
3: listening. Yes. Good night, everybody.
2: A good night. <laughs>
3: the
1: end. <laughs> I clapped. Please follow us on Twitter at AcquisitionPod. No Kickers podcasts, actually. And on Tumblr at the rules of acquisitionpodcast.tumblr.com send us an email at rulesofacquisitionpodcast at
0: gmail.com You can turn this off now. Okay! There we are. The end of the episode. I thought that was a pretty good episode. Um, I think that I didn't like that particular episode. As usual, Wade, I think, liked it the most and then James was somewhere in the middle, and then I i think I liked it the least. This, what's interesting to me is that this seems to be an emerging pattern. I don't know if I'm really bad at liking things, or if Wade is really good at liking things. Wade has me second-guessing as to whether or not um, I'm, I'm very good at liking things, especially here lately with, with the, our latest podcasting endeavor, the second season of and Superiority. Um, I feel like I'm sort of of failing in that uh, department. But some of you might have noticed how weird uh, Wade's audio sounds in this. I asked him about this, and he was talking about some technical stuff that I didn't understand, but it did jog my memory. And you might have picked up on it earlier in the episode when you hear some stray voices. Wade had a lot of roommates in uh, full for, for a lot of years living in New York City. But at this period of our recording, um, we had there were several times where it sounded like he was recording in the middle of a bar because you know his apartment would be quiet, nobody'd be there, and then everybody would, you know his roommates would just show up all at once. And James used to joke that it sounded like he was recording a podcast in the middle of Cheers. Um, Later, (laughs) Wade would fashion a soundproof box that he would put over his head when he recorded. And from what I understand, he still has that today, even though he doesn't have as many roommates. He has a family. Um, I guess that's sort of like roommates boy James is still on the Nana visitor uh hate kick on this episode which surprised me because she wasn't in it very much at all but here we have James going off on on her acting ability we have a lot of Meany, so uh it's, you know he unfairly compares her post trek career to his post yeah, I thought that was bad form it's good to see that that James sort of changes his um, tune over time on "Nana Na Visitor and Major Care of Both. One thing this episode got me thinking about was we, we there was a lot of back and forth as to whether or not the Dominion was an idea for the writers when we recorded this. So it got me wondering, and sure enough, we were right, that they had not even begun to conceive of the Dominion at the time that they made this episode. And I went and looked up the origins of the conception of the idea of, of the Dominion, and there's a lot on Memory Alpha on that. Um, but ironically, Wikipedia has the most succinct description on the, the origin or the conception of the Dominion, and I think I'll read that now. In 2002, Deep Space Nine producer Ira Steven Baer stated that unlike some plots, which originated from a single small idea, the creation of the Dominion villain and story arc was, quote, very much thought out, end quote. Baer said that the earliest mention of the Dominion was purposely planted in the comic season 2 Ferengi episode, Rules of Acquisition, to leave the audience with the impression of, quote, how important could it be, end quote it was decided that the Gamma Quadrant would need an ambiance that would distinguish it from the Alpha Quadrant. The producers wanted to portray the region as something other than uncharted space and avoid imitating the adventures of Star Trek The Next Generation, with another series of plots focusing primarily on the themes of exploration. After 18 months of Deep Space Nine exposition, the producers decided to characterize the Dominion as Anti-Federation, writer and script editor Robert Hewitt-Wolf has explained that this move was also distinguished Deep Space Nine from its successor series, Star Trek Voyager, which stars a lost Federation ship tra- tra- traversing the chaotic and divided Delta Quadrant and Milky Way. So, basically, they they needed a big bad for the series, and they came to that in season two and decided you know, Iris Stephen Bear in true Iris Stephen Bear fashion decides to do it in a Ferengi shenanigans episode. You know, those that we love so much. Um. So yeah, we were right about that. They had no idea that the Dominion was even going to be a thing and that the lizard person in this was pretty much completely unrelated All right. Well, that's all I have for you this week. Thanks again for revisiting this old episode with me. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you come back and listen to another episode of the Rules of Acquisition Remix. Wanted to be a You are still listening. We believe
2: in you. We know you are better than this.